I'm Peter Medic, and you're listening to episode 18 of Return of the Birds, the serialized audiobook podcast of Wake Robin by John Burroughs. If this is the first time you've dropped into the story, you might want to listen to the previous episodes. But as always, you're welcome to stick around. The Return of the Birds podcast is ad-free. So if you hear advertising inserted into this episode, those interruptions are not and were never part of our program. We do not receive any money from advertising. I want to give a special thank you to the thousands of women and men in the field who recorded and cataloged the bird calls and songs I used over the course of this audiobook. You are doing selfless and important work, and it's appreciated. And I have a favor to ask. If you know someone, or meet someone, who likes being outdoors, being outside, being in nature, please tell them about Return of the Birds. It would really help our show take flight. Thank you. Epilogue. 149 years later. I listen differently now. The process of this project changed how I listen to and hear the world around me. While I've always been fond of birds, I am far from a birder or a bird watcher. Prior to this project, I was ignorant to the various species, their migration patterns, and the relationship to the seasons. The path to this project was long and rambling, which, in retrospect, reflects the spirit of the book. I first found Wake Robin in 2011, in the dusty attic of the public domain. At the time, I was looking for a new creative project to fill idle evenings after work. In the years since, the path to completion took many twists and turns. I had no idea how big the project would be. Return of the Birds is our contribution to the climate conversation. Rather than endangered lists, risk indexes, and environmental impacts, Burroughs focuses our attention on the anticipation and delight the birds bring to the changing seasons. Burroughs wrote, quote, I have tried to present a live bird, a bird in the woods or fields, with the atmosphere and associations of the place, and not merely a stuffed and labeled specimen, end quote. Instead of droning scientific detachment or fanciful prose, Burroughs' anecdotes and asides give us a rich sense of place and time. His ear for the subtleties of birdsong transports us to the Catskills, the Park Peelings, or the Capitol to stroll the shady trails beside our host, the Gentleman Rambler. Burroughs' attention to detail and playful characterizations turn these birds into little individuals with personalities and emotions. They start to feel like friends. He wrote, And what is a bird without its song? It seems to me I do not know a bird till I've heard its voice. And that is the fulcrum of this project. The technology wasn't available when he published his book, but working with the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, we've had the opportunity to give our old friends, the birds, their voices. I had a loose set of requirements for the bird vocalizations we used. 1. Licenses All selections were made from the Macaulay Library's requestable media list. This often reduced the available selections to one-tenth of the whole catalog. 2. Location. 
I selected the best quality recordings closest to the towns and trails in New York State or Washington, D.C., because that's where Mr. Burroughs rambled most. The locations radiated southward and westward from there, down the East Coast, and then west across North America. 3. No machine-generated background noise meaning airplane, automobile, or other modern machine-generated audio pollution that would not have been present at the time Mr. Burroughs wrote the book. 4. No human-generated background noise. I know if I were out in the field, my tramping and tripping would be the only sound on tape. The skill required to capture clean, clear audio is earned over time. The men and women in the field who record and catalog the bird vocalizations are masters of their craft. 5. Use a single track or single take when possible, weaving the narration into the recorded cadence of the bird song. This was the most rewarding challenge, and the most time-consuming. Each bird has its own cadence, its own rhythm, for its song. When describing a bird's song, Burroughs' observations would fit the tempo, filling the space between bird note or flourish. The first hint of Burroughs' intention appeared with his description of the bluebird at the very start of the book. The bird at first seems a mere wandering voice in the air. One hears its call or carol on some bright March morning, but is uncertain of its source or direction. It falls like a drop of rain when no cloud is visible. One looks and listens, but to no purpose. The weather changes, perhaps a cold snap with snow comes on. And it may be a week before I hear the note again. And this time, or the next perchance, see the bird sitting on a stake in the fence, lifting his wing as he calls cheerily to his mate. This initial combination of passage and birdsong was the moment our little project took on a life of its own. Then Mr. Burroughs walks us through his comparison of the hermit thrush with the wood thrush. He clearly articulates the subtleties between the two songs, and with the two strains woven in, we hear them as he did, an experience waiting 150 years to be shared. Last of its song is very much like that of the wood thrush and a good observer might easily confound the two. But hear them together, and the difference is quite marked. The song of the hermit is in a higher key. And is more wild and ethereal. His instrument is a silver horn, which he wins in the most solitary places. The song of the wood thrush is more golden and leisurely. Its tone comes near to that of some rare stringed instrument. one feels that perhaps the wood thrush has more compass and power. If he could only let himself out. But on the whole, 
he seems a little short of the pure, serene, hymn-like strain of the hermit. Yet those who have heard only the wood thrush may well place him first on the list. He is truly a royal minstrel, and considering his liberal distribution throughout our Atlantic seaboard, perhaps contributes more than any other bird to our sylvan melody. One may object that he spends a little too much time in tuning his instrument. Yet his careless and uncertain touches reveal its rare compass and power. After weaving hundreds of bird songs into the narration, I am confident Mr. Burroughs' orchestration was intentional. The first essay in the collection, Return of the Birds, was published in 1863, the same year as the Battle of Gettysburg in the middle of the American Civil War, from 1861 to 1865. A stark contrast to the fractured political landscape Mr. Burroughs reveled in nature's perseverance and impartiality to the political conflicts of the human race. Today, the stakes are higher and on a global scale. As a people, we are not very good at predicting the future, or even worse, at planning for it. So let's not plan using reason or logic, but using psychology. If we are gambling with our future, perhaps we should change the bet we make. In the original book, Mr. Burroughs highlights the give and take between humans and nature. Long before we could interpret our impact on the earth, Mr. Burroughs wrote about the critical relationship between the people and the land. Birds are a sentinel species. They are not bound by borders or regulations, yet are a key indicator of the health of our environment. If we value birds as currency, then we are rich, but we are about to lose our fortune. And as a people, we are so scared to lose something valuable to us that we will abandon rational thought and make some unpredictable decisions. So if we want to hedge our bet, not even play to win, we can play not to lose. Mr. Burroughs puts the birds in context and not merely stuffed and labeled specimens. Today, as protections are unwound, uncertainty grows and the din of discontent drowns out discussion. Rather than focus on impending doom, Mr. Burroughs and his birds help buoy the spirit and rise above the long, slow evaporation of hope and melting optimism. And perhaps that was Mr. Burroughs' intent, then as now, to help people look up and listen to find a path forward. Because if we recognize, appreciate, and value the birds and what we have, we might all work a damn bit harder not to lose it all. 2020. You listen to Return of the Birds, a serialized audiobook podcast of Wake Robin, written by John Burroughs and read by Peter Medic, with bird vocalizations courtesy of the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Recording, editing, and post-production by 44 from 26 in Bellingham, Washington. Post-production and mastering by Counterweight Creative, Recorded at One Fine Studio in Bellingham, Washington. Engineered, produced, and directed by Peter Medic. 
This has been a presentation of 44 from 26, a family-owned and operated media experiment. For more updates, we invite you to join the growing 44 from 26 community at 44from26.com or visit returnofthebirds.com. Wake Robin is available for digital download in e-reader format at archive.org. This is 44 from 26. Please visit returnofthebirds.com to find show notes for each episode. The show notes include links back to the Macaulay Library bird vocalizations we used in this episode, images of the birds mentioned in the episode, and more. Finally, any flubs, goofs, and mispronunciations or errors are mine. If you want to tell me about them, stop by 44from26.com forward slash contact and click the button to leave a voicemail or send an email. Till next time, chirp away. If we value birds as currency, then we are rich. But we are about to lose our fortune. And as a people, we are so scared to lose something valuable to us that we will abandon rational thought and make some unpredictable decisions. So if we want to hedge our bet, not even play to win, we can play not to lose. Mr. Burroughs puts the birds in context. Mr. Burroughs puts the birds in context. 
and not merely puts the birds in context and not merely stuffed and labeled stuffed and labeled specimens today as protections are unwound uncertainty grows and the din of discontent drowns out discussion rather than focus on impending doom mr burrows and his birds help buoy the spirit and rise above the long slow evaporation of hope and melting optimism and perhaps that was mr burrows's intent then as now to help people look up and listen to find a path forward because if we recognize appreciate and value the birds and what we have we might all work a damn bit harder not to lose it all Two thousand twenty.